justice. Uh, and the, the, the passage that Craig uh, read this morning, even though the latter few verses, and really the only verses in the entire book, are quite hopeful, uh, it is for the next era of God's program. There is nothing positive about what is going to happen to the nation of Israel in the entire book of Amos for that generation of people. But it's all due to their own injustice. When we pick up Habakkuk, God is in the midst of judging Judah, but Habakkuk is um, a book that is reflecting the personal anguish of a righteous man in the context of a nation that's being judged. And so it's unfair. It's unfair the suffering that he's having to experience uh, because of the, of the injustice and, and the idolatry of others. So the second sermon I'm going to preach, which will be in a couple months, will be on uh, living with what seems to be hopelessness um, in conditions that you have had no say in. So this will not only deal with like injustices committed against us by other people, but we're going to look at we're going to look at chronic pain, we're going to look at disease, uh, mental health, things that that happen to us where we've had no say, things that seem completely unfair, uh, and I'm going to need some more time to work, to work on that one to be quite honest.
it doesn't make sense, it doesn't work, and eventually it has to end. So injustice has to end because God is working to restore his created order. And finally, we saw that the, the significant, uh, one of the most significant purposes of justice and the judgment of God is to bring people to a place where their suffering is so extensive that they, that they desire to stop doing the evil and they, they begin to long for the doing of good and the, the worshiping and following of God. Sensors of 
stealing, sexual immorality, just anything that we can do to bring some comfort to our completely miserable life. But regardless of what we try, it seems like the judgment or the hand of God never goes away. And God says, I, I will find you out and I will bring my judgment to you. If they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and they shall bite them. So, our, our lives and our experience of suffering becomes overwhelming, and it becomes relentless, and it is thorough. He says later, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve. But no pebble shall fall to the earth. He is going to work through the most minute detail to make sure that his judgment hits every possible person. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword said, disaster shall not overtake your midst. And so God's judgments upon us because of our actions, and so that judgment can come, it seems like it may seem like it's our own consequences. Or it may really seem like God is, is not letting us go. And our lives just continue in this state of misery. It's overwhelming, it's relentless, it's thorough. I've been reading Tim Keller's book, it's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's a really, really, really excellent and thorough book on this subject. I would encourage it for everyone. And a lot of the suffering that we experience is against our physical bodies. It hurts externally, right? We suffer, we suffer pain because of harm inflicted upon us. We suffer hunger, we suffer cold, whatever. But really the most difficult suffering that we experience is affliction. And so he's got a section in the book, and it was, it was especially profound, so I wanted to include it here. Uh, and, he's, and he's working from a French philosopher's um, work called um, oh, it's, it's Waiting for God it's something like Waiting for God her, her name is Simone Wade W-E-I-L is French so you don't pronounce it Neil is Wade and she gives the definition so she, she differentiates between suffering and affliction suffering is are these external things that we suffer and pain against our bodies is the internal experience of suffering that I think is far more hard for us. And she defines affliction like this. It is the uprooting of life, a more or less attenuated or thinned out equivalent of death. So it feels like you're dying. Feels like you simply want to be dead. A kind of horror submerges, sinks the whole. 
and we see no reason for living. And we recognize it's because of our own actions. Now again, people can get to this state. And I think if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, most of us would say that there are times in our lives where we at least briefly experience this type of, of feeling, where it is an attenuated, a thinned out death. A horror has submerged our soul. And she describes, she describes what, her, what she calls marks of affliction. These are, these are indicators of a, of, of a person's life and their interior lives that reflect affliction. And I want to bring just put them up here. The first mark is isolation. A barrier goes up as your suffering differentiates you from others. The example that, that was noted in the book was that uh, oftentimes when parents uh, have a child that's born to them with a disability, and as that child grows up, they, they, they become increasingly isolated because of the needs of raising children with disability, uh, but also because uh, the people around them don't necessarily know how to help them in the midst of their suffering. Now again, that's, that's an example of, 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 of dealing with this kind of affliction and isolation that you don't have control over. But it's common for people whose lives are continuing to just fall apart and fall apart and fall apart, especially those that are, that are falling apart as a consequence of their own sin, to increasingly become alone and isolated because a lot of times their sin, our sin, pushes the people away. Something is going on in us. Our actions, our decisions uh, are against those around us. And so we become increasingly alone and, and feel unloved and uncared for. The second one is implosion. The pain is so significant where all you can think about is the pain.
It's an aggressive self-loathing. You're very aware of your flaws and weaknesses and you can't get out of, of the disgust you have with yourself. The fourth one, anger. Now this one I'm very familiar with. This is where I go when I suffer. Anger. Holy Spirit. 
as, as hope to the people that are experiencing and being judged and experiencing this level of hopelessness. I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. There is a future hope. Um, my Anna encouraged me to uh, to talk to some folks that are that are going through these types of situations, either either because of their own sin or because of nothing that they had anything to do with. And I, I wanted to see again because I I haven't been in this place. There's a lot of things in my life that I enjoy and love and feel blessed by God for. They are strengthening. They are strengthening. They are motivating. They are good things. They are the blessings of God which we are to enjoy and to share. I've never had to be in a place except in brief instances where there's like maybe sharp pain for a few moments where all I can set my hope on is the future of the kingdom of God when he returns and abolishes all evil and suffering forever. That has never had to, that has never had to be my daily hope. Because I talk to some folks. They testify that that promise is their daily hope. You know, that is a level of, of maturity and strength of faith that I think is really unusual. Because so much, so many of us put our hope in our in our daily lives and in the great things that God gives us. You guys, I kind of completely lost track of time. So, um, I'm just going to finish the message as intended because I we won't have as much time for community <clears throat> But it is at a tremendously strong place of faith where, where you are sustained, not because of the greatness of your life, but because of the eternal promises of God to bring about a complete annihilation of all evil and a promise of complete goodness for all eternity. And also in the stories that I've read and, and talked to, people's lives may become completely changed because of their experience of suffering, even because of their own sin, or things that they have had no control over. Disease, mental health, death. But what the stories all affirm is that God brings comforts and God brings joys. And God brings glimmers of hope and salvation and, and, and a life of, of peace and comfort that only His Spirit can provide. That's really encouraging. That's what people have told me. That's what, that's what I've read. I wanted to spend some time <laughs> of Psalm 51. One of my favorite songs because it is, it is the classic story of King David who because of his adultery and then murder and the covering up of his adultery gets himself into a, a pretty painful situation not only for that season but the generations 
and generations to come on his family um, that brings a tremendous amount of suffering. Murder, rape, um, it, it, it decimates his family. Decimates the lives of his kids and of the kingdom. And of the king, it affects the kingdom. So I don't have time to go through Psalm 51 like I wanted to. Maybe we need to do a little bit longer series on this, we'll see. But there's some things on Psalm 51 that, that really are helpful. When you are in a place of extreme suffering and feeling these things because of your own sin. So you don't know the story. David went off to fight. Or the, 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 the Israel went off to fight battles in the spring. David had had uh, sustained it a long time of coming to the place of being on the throne. Um, and he decides one season to not go out with his armies but to stay home. So he's not taking care of his responsibilities on the battlefield. He stays home. He sees the wife of one of his generals bathing on a rooftop. And he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant, and to hide the pregnancy, he, 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 he kills the general. If you want to read it, it's in uh, 2 Samuel, starts like around chapter, chapter 10, 2 Samuel. And it's, it's, it's a long time before, he, before God brings correction to him. But God does bring correction to him through a prophet. And, and Psalm 51 kind of explains the process that David went through. And, and, it, and it reflects, again, I would strongly encourage you to read uh, Ten Colors of the Walking with Catherine Pain and Suffering. Um, it reflects, you know, kind of the last third of Keller's book is, okay, how to, how to walk through and pass the suffering. And I, for me, I like Psalm 51. It seems to take David's process. And the first thing he does is he cries out for forgiveness. He acknowledges and confesses what he has done. And he cries out for forgiveness. Psalm 51 is a bold prayer. It is bold because if we're all sitting back, especially if you were at Uriah's or Bathsheba's family, to read Psalm 51, you'd have to think, why in the world would a God forgive anyone who's done what David has done? That would be the temptation. That would be the temptation for me. But David knows and understands God in deep ways. He confesses his sin. He cries out for forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Not according to my goodness, not according to my sin, but according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, block out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He, he is wanting to experience the cleansing of a conscience that has been stained by adultery and murder. The audacity! But it's because 
And yes, we sin against people. We do. But if we let the judgments of people define our reality, it will press us into this. Because we cannot please other people. We cannot please other people. We will not remain free from the judgments of other people. We will not remain free from the judgments of our own flesh. We will not remain free from the judgments of the enemy. The judgments will always be coming against us. But God is the only one who can stand in blameless and accurate judgment of us because he alone is God. And we have to know this in order to get out of the pain and suffering or to at least endure the pain and suffering as a consequence of our sin. Because if we let the, the judgments of others define who we are in the state of our consciences, we will never emerge from it. We will never emerge from the guilt. And that is the point of the gospel. And David understands that God does not want us to live in a place of constant guilt. Even for horrendous things. knows God in a very, very deep way. And he believes that God is ultimately a God of mercy and not a God of judgment. In the book of Amos, and I spoke about this when we spoke about judgment a couple weeks ago, judgment is not something that God likes or enjoys. They had people at the time, I can't wait for the judgment of God to come against this godless and horrible nation. And God's like, what? anticipating and hoping for the day of judgment. It is not a good thing. I want to show kindness and mercy. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. And so many of us react in judgment when we see or experience our own sin or other sin and we self-love. But that is, that is not God's priority. It's not God's wish. It shouldn't be our first inclination towards ourselves and towards others. And David understood this. He understood that that mercy in, in the place of sin was, was the way out. And the last thing I want to touch on is that David understood that God did not want him to engage in a bunch of insincere religious practices. He wasn't going to engage in any teaching. He wasn't going to engage in any singing. He wasn't going to engage in any sacrificing. He wasn't going to act, engage in any witnessing until God had restored his heart, until God had restored his joy, until God had restored his sense of, of love and compassion for people. He was asking God to bring, bring him to a place, creating a clean heart, he says. Okay, mourning and 